0: T.G. Brandfault, and you're listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we will bring you essential cannabis business news and insights by speaking with stakeholders, experts, and entrepreneurs who are focused on normalizing and demystifying the cannabis industry. Uh, Since November's election, uh, general election, particular attention has been paid to California. After all, it is the nation's most populous state and has led to uh, the industry as the first state to pass medical cannabis laws in 1996. Uh, But New England is quickly making its own mark, uh, with two states passing their own adult use measures a couple of months ago. So Today, I'm joined by Mark Shepard, member of Normal and MassCan, and the Patient Advocacy Alliance. Uh, He's also the co-founder of the New England Cannabis convention, and we're going to discuss the newly legal legal eastern states. So, how are you doing today, Mark?
1: Uh, Terrific, TJ, and thank you so much for having me on today. It's my pleasure, my man.
0: Uh, I'd like to kick off uh, our discussion today with uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts has a medical program uh, which was pretty new by the time that voters approved the ballot initiative. Uh, So let's start, you know, what's the status of the medical market and uh, how might the adult use market impact the current structure?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, the brief history in mass, um, you know, possession was decriminalized less than one ounce back in 2008. Um, The medical programs were approved in 2012. Um, the first dispensaries, unfortunately, didn't open until 2015. So you you get a taste of um, you know the Massachusetts um, bureaucratic process there, um, and I'm sure that will apply to the to the new rec market. So the you know the medical program has been up um, for four years. There's 35 licenses approved. There are only I think eight or nine dispensaries active and open. Um, so you know we still got a long way to go just to get. Um, enough medicine out to patients. So, you know, with rec passing now, um, obviously you know, the immediate impact if you're a patient and you're, and you're having trouble getting to a dispensary, you can now grow up to six plants yourself, um, possess 10 ounces at home, Um, Two ounces in public, you can also be gifted up to an ounce from another person. So, um, you know, the the first impact, I think, of the medical program is just that patients now who who don't have easy access to a dispensary or a caregiver um, have it it a little bit easier to try to get medicine now.
0: But there's no indication that the medical market is going to be decimated by the REC initiative.
1: No, I, I mean I I can't see that. And this is, this isn't a perfect analogy, but I but I just kind of say, you know, you, you can get brandy at a liquor store, but but that's not medicine. You know, I mean, you, you know, yeah, there's cough medicine. Um, brandy has alcohol in it, and, and it's kind of the same thing with with medical marijuana. You you can go to a rec store and, and buy cannabis, but you know, honestly, that's cannabis that's grown and 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 developed in order to. Produce a good high for people, whereas you know, uh, medical marijuana is going to be produced specifically to treat ailments and and specific um, symptoms people people have. So the rec market isn't going to produce the medicine people need um, for their ailments. So you said that there were thirty five licenses uh, given
0: in Massachusetts, but there's less than ten dispensaries operating. Is do you have do you have any indication when? Uh, the rest might come online.
1: I mean, it's it's picking up speed, and there there I think there were more than ninety, um, you know, approved applicants, and they're all going through the process, and it's and it's it's an arduous obstacle course of getting through um, all the the state regulations, and then finding a town and and getting all that done. Um, You know, everybody makes their estimates as to, you know, how soon before those 35 will open. All I can say is it's starting to happen faster and faster. Um, Certainly before there's recreational stores open, I I would guess the number of of medical um, dispensaries will, will at least double in the next year.
0: So let's let's talk about the the recreation uh, in in Massachusetts. Uh, according to ArcView Group and uh, New Frontier data, uh, they estimate that the state market could be worth one billion by twenty twenty. Uh, much of that figure could be driven by Boston. You know, it's two hundred miles away from New York City. Um, how much of that estimated one billion dollar figure would you think would be driven by tourism?
1: You know, I, I've I've been reading a lot about that, and a couple of people have written about how Boston's going to become the, the capital of, of cannabis by 2020 for all, you know, some of the reasons you mentioned. I, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Um, I, I think right now these, these estimates are, are making some assumptions. Um, one, that, that things are going to progress quickly in, in the mass market, which I don't think is going to happen, unfortunately. Um, I think it's going to be much slower. Um, than people think. And then also, I mean, that's four years from now. That's That gives, be it Rhode Island, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, that gives them four years to pass their own recreational ballot. So I, I think those estimates, you know, they're, they're based on some pretty big assumptions. Um, I, I think it will be a great market. I think it will be a terrific um, tourist market. I think Cape Cod is is a, is a great tourist destination, and, and obviously Boston can be too. Um, I, I would just say in general my experience with industry forecasts they're they're always wildly positive and and I'm not trying to be negative I just I just think that's a little bit I think that's a little high
0: now now you you've said you know several times that you anticipate the rollout of the recreational program being slow is this due to The blowback, or the that that occurred during the election, during the run-up to the election, by you know the governor and uh, the mayor of Boston. Do you think that they're going to try to stand in the way, or do you think that it's just going to be a slow process?
1: I I think it's both. I think when you have you know the mayor of Boston and the governor um, both openly, fully opposed to this. There's just so many ways that that the sitting government can drag their feet on a process, um, and then also just with the with the law itself, it's it's you know it's it's pretty vague and gives states a lot of control on zoning and on licensing and how things are done. So just the normal process of saying, hey, we've we've got to set up a commit commission. I mean. We're going to set up a brand new, you know, con- control com- commission and, and give them nine months to set up rules and regulations. Um, you know, even out of the gate, you're, you're talking about a year before, you know, a license could even be issued. So, um, you know, it just it's just going to move slow. It's going to happen. It's, I think it's just going to move slower than people think. I don't think anybody anticipated three years from the time the medical program was approved till the first dispensary sold. Marijuana, you know, and if you if you apply that here, you're talking 2019 um, before rec would be sold, which which I which I'm not saying will happen, but it that's what happened with medical.
0: Are there a lot of uh, municipalities seeking to bar a recreational market from uh, existing in their townships?
1: There's been there's been a decent amount of talk so far, especially when you when you're saying that nobody can even apply for a year. The fact that it's coming up, um, you know, shows that that people are, you know, looking at that and, and are concerned with it. I mean, the, the easiest way for towns to do it is just set up zoning laws that that sort of make it impossible. You know, and I you know in in my hometown in North Attleboro. The zoning law for for medical dispensary is you know there's a you have to be separated a certain amount by from schools and by churches and when you when you draw a map of the town um, there there literally isn't any space in the town that meets the zoning qualification so you know there's lots of things people can do to to slow things down. So what's the next step uh,
0: in, in Massachusetts? You know, I know that we're very early and, and that no licenses have, even preliminary licenses have been issued. So you know, where are we now
1: in the process and, and what's next? Sure, I mean right now in this first year, the, there's 75 available licenses for retail and, and each license holder can apply for, for four different licenses, a, a retail shop, a product manufacturer, Cultivator and testing facility license. So, so you theoretically have up to to 75 um, licenses available. In this first year, the the only applicants that that'll be considered for those 75 licenses will be the 90 um, people who successfully submitted medical marijuana applications back in 2015 and, and received a provisional approval. So the, the, the first 75 will come out of that group. And then out, you know starting in 2018, the process will, um, will be open to everybody. So as those licenses are, are, are being submitted and applied for, there's, there's going to be a three-person cannabis control commission that's going to be named by the state, and they're actually going to be writing the regulations as they're you know getting applications submitted and, and going through the process.
0: Have any uh, representatives or officials or lawmakers, have they gone to uh, Colorado or one of the other legal states, to get an idea of, of what the regulations might look like?
1: Yeah, there was, a, there was a, you know, a group of, of state reps and, and local reps that did go out to to, to Colorado. Um, they came back with, with a mixed bag, a lot of their quotes about, you know, what they saw um, and statistical quotes and information that they gave to the, you know, to say the Boston Globe and the Herald flew in the face of, you know, statistical information from Colorado. So you know, you had people coming saying, you know, that there was high crime and, and you know social decay and all these problems that, you know, that the that the state itself in, in Colorado claims, you know, th- that's not true. So there was there there was some effort put into that, um, but but it seemed there were people that were out there just looking to you know to sort of validate what they had heard or what they wanted to to say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 tough out here. There there aren't there aren't many local legislators who who think it's going to be good for them politically to be at the forefront of this. So everybody's going to kind of you know you know go along for the ride, but no one's going to lead because nobody thinks it's politically advantageous to do so. It's
0: very interesting, you know, it, that. In a state that that has, uh, you know, it wasn't an overwhelming uh, passage of the law, but that the officials really aren't behind this at all, you know. So it shows the the will of the people kind of shining through, um, you know, which is you know applause to you know the activists in Massachusetts. uh, we're going to step away from uh, the show real quick, take a short break. Uh, we come back, we're going to talk about the other state that legalized adult-use cannabis in the northeast of Maine. So uh, this is the entrepreneur.com podcast. We'll be right back.
2: Being an entrepreneur comes with a lot of stress. And while you are busy developing and running your business, managing a team of loyal employees, and working to build a sustainable venture, the last thing you should need to worry about are your personal finances. With Latitude Financial Group, you will have the tools you need to manage your finances efficiently and easily without all the hassle. Latitude Financial Group provides a platform that shows you everything you have, all in one place, and that stays current without time-consuming updates and synchronizations. You'll gain access to a free one-hour consultation and an award-winning financial management software suite that will empower you to better visualize and manage your finances. With Latitude, you can form a relationship with an unbiased, fee-based, objective, professional, personal advisor who understands your unique concerns, who listens to your needs, and who has years of experience applying financial solutions to the most complicated of financial scenarios. Based in Denver, Colorado... The Latitude Financial Group team will work with you in ways that fit your life. Whether you prefer a face-to-face meeting with an advisor at one of their 20 Metro Denver area locations, a phone call, or a Skype meeting, they can help you work to achieve your financial goals. So, if your personal or business finances are causing you stress, if you are losing sleep wondering if your financial future is secure in the career path you have chosen, or if you want to work with a financial advisor who is interested in helping you become successful in your business endeavors, give Latitude Financial Group a call and start being proactive about your financial future today. Don't wait. Latitude is offering the first 10 listeners one year of free access to their award-winning software platform. Go to rollingingrass.com. That's rollingingrass.com to get latitude in your financial life. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Scott Cody, Daniel Grote representatives, Latitude Financial Group, and Securities America are unaffiliated. Latitude Financial Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated.
0: Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfold here with Mark Shepard, member of Normal, MassCan, Patient Advocacy Alliance, and co founder of the New England Cannabis Convention. Uh, we're here discussing the Northeastern states who recently passed adult use uh, cannabis legislation uh, during the general election. And so we're going to, we talked about Massachusetts. Let's, let's move on to Maine. Um, you know, very similar to how we approached Massachusetts. you know, uh, how will the what what's a brief history of Maine's medical market and how do you think that program will jive with the new recreational market?
1: Um well, it's interesting. Maine. You know, Maine's question really got into the medical program and and tried to protect it a lot more than Mass. It's it's a much older program. It started in 1999 and um, you know passed with a huge majority. Um, there are eight dispensaries open in Maine, which which doesn't sound like a lot, but there's only a million people in Maine, so it's you know the equivalent of maybe six times as many dispensaries say in Massachusetts. Um, there's about almost there's close to 50,000 registered patients, um, and there's a huge caregiver. Network in Maine, where you know people, individuals, can register as caregivers and grow um, plants and and provide medicine for up to five patients. So it's a it's a huge program that that also is an is an industry because you've got you know 3,000 caregivers you know making a living off this. So the referendum for rec in Maine, um, you know, did a lot to protect that the the growing licenses as they come out. Um, I think it's 40 percent of them. Um, are, are set aside and can only be used by what they call small grows which wouldn't be practical for someone coming out of state so it's the law specifically made to, to have a huge portion of the rec market um, be awarded to, to local growers and, and more than likely it'll come from the existing caregiver, uh, you know, those 3,000 caregivers.
0: And they were the only state initiative, uh, Cal- uh, Denver, the, the city of Denver also did this, but to, to include cannabis clubs uh, in the legislation. Uh, do you think that this is a good thing, will it help drive the program, and to what extent?
1: I mean, I think it's a, it's a great thing. You know, to be honest with you, there's a there's a social aspect um, to cannabis use, just as there's one for alcohol and sort of legalizing it, but making it something that you can you can only do when you're when you're, you know, hidden in your home. I just that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm very excited by that um, piece of it. and, And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it you know, how it plays out in Maine.
0: Um, There's also been political attempts to thwart the voter initiative. You know, the the proponents or opponents, I'm sorry, uh, held a, you know, they forced a recount, which was verified uh, as, as a pass. And Governor LePage has actually said that he wanted to get rid of—that's uh, a quote—the medical marijuana program. Uh, similarly to what was done in Washington, which is now forcing patients to pay the thirty-seven percent excise tax. Um, who or what agency would have to implement such changes in Maine? And are activists concerned that LePage will have his way?
1: Um, you know, on the first part, on the on the sort of the recount bit. I mean, it was you know, when you're trying to get something to pass, it's always disappointing, but, but I think people have to admit that, you know, it it only passed by 4,000 votes and, and any, any ballot question that that's, that that it's that close. I I think a a recount is warranted and, and it was dropped pretty quickly when they, when they saw that, you know, there wasn't enough movement to do anything. So I wasn't really that upset about that. As far as LePage, um, you know, as the governor, his, his, his lack of information and lack and and total refusal to educate himself on the issue just it's it's really it's it's reprehensible and for anybody to again to think that somehow recreational marijuana is the same as medical marijuana it, it shows that they haven't haven't made the least amount of effort um, to look into it you know that being said the you know the medical marijuana program was a was a people's referendum the the governor can't outlaw it. You know, he just doesn't have any way to do that. Um, You know, it would just, you know, gay marriage passed in Maine. You know, if the governor's not for that, he he can't overturn it because he doesn't like it. So I I think that's a lot of saber rattling, and that's just him getting the word out to his constituents that he's against it, but I I don't see how he can do anything about it.
0: So, what's next for Maine? You know, I haven't really seen any numbers about uh, the projected... You know, revenue such as I, I did in Massachusetts. Uh, do you do you have any insight as to what the market might uh, what the market might bring in in Maine?
1: You know, the same the same survey that you had had quoted earlier about Mass puts you know Maine at, at potentially two hundred and fifty million um, by two thousand and twenty. Um, you know, the interesting thing is 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 Maine. You know, is 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 a huge tourist market, um, not just for New Englanders but also for New York, and I and I think that piece of it, and the fact that there's the social club aspect, um, maybe not dollar for dollar bigger than Mass, but I but I do think it will become a bigger tourist destination um, than Massachusetts will just because it's it's a great tourist place, um, you know, the southern coast of Maine. Right now where the law stands is the governor, I think, you know, he had 10 days after the recount to to sign off on this. It's really just a ceremonial thing. It goes into effect 10 days um, after the recount ended, whether he signs it or not. And that's it might even be tomorrow that those 10 days are up. And then possession and growing and, and use become legal 30 days after that. So we're looking at, say, the end of January. Um, you know, it's going to be legal to possess and grow. Um, the commission then has uh, nine months to finalize their regulations. In Maine, it's um, actually the Department of Agriculture. So they'll have until October 30th, 2017, to... Um, finalize the regulations and then a license um, application process will open um, for 90 days for existing dispensary and caregivers um, you know again October 7, October 30th or so 2070 is when those applications will start
0: so it's uh, the legislation you know is a bit more clear than Massachusetts is in terms of time frames
1: yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, Mass hasn't even, they haven't even named the three people that are that are going to make the laws yet. So
0: let, let's talk a bit about New England as a whole. You know, who's next? Uh, neither Vermont, New Hampshire, Connecticut, nor Rhode Island have voter referendums. Uh, Vermont's tried a couple of times uh, to legalize adult use. Uh, it's failed. Um you know and they've they've come the closest to a legislature actually legalizing cannabis for adult use. you know do you think that Massachusetts and Maine might start a domino effect in New England?
1: I mean, if they are obviously if they're successful and well run, I think it it certainly puts pressure on the other states. Um, I would think you know Rhode Island probably has the biggest state stake in that i mean they they were the first they were the first state after the Connecticut casinos opened you know at the Indian Reservations Rhode Island was the was the next state as they as they saw they were losing you know revenue they opened the first casinos after Connecticut they've got probably the best and biggest organized advocacy groups um led by Regulate Rhode Island um you know campaigning and lobbying the legislature so i, I think Rhode Island might be next I mean, it could happen in Vermont. You know, from what I saw, the the failure in the of the legislative bill was really just about the fact that it was written, um, you know, to benefit retailers. And I think that sort of um, Vermont attitude of, you know, if we're going to make anything legal, it's going to be for people in Vermont to grow and possess this themselves, not you know, to make it just legal to sell, and, and I think it was a case of poorly written legislation that, that led to the State House to reject it. Um, so I think Vermont could pass as soon as the right bill is written. Um, New Hampshire is still in its baby stages of medical, so I don't think anything will happen there. And and I honestly don't know that much about Connecticut, um, although, you know, they have a functioning medical program, but I haven't heard much in the way of a of a thrust from the people for for rec. But, once these Maine and Mass are up and running and people are able to either critique them or, or see the success, I think it does change everything. So what might your advice be to potential
0: investors in Maine and Massachusetts?
1: You know, and this, this may run contrary to what a lot of people think, but, but to me, if you want to get in the business and you're, and you're not already in it and experienced, um, look at the ancillary businesses that don't, you know, the term don't touch the plan." You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to navigate and expensive and risky to get into the license lottery. You know, you've, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to be connected. You have to have a lot of cash flow and you have to be prepared to get shut out even if you do everything right. But if you're able to capitalize on the ancillary business, be it—I mean, there's millions. There's there's lighting, there's growing, there's security, there's transportation. There's so many ancillary businesses connected to this industry. I would, I would look at my own skill set and say what what skills are applicable to those ancillary businesses and and try to establish myself there.
0: So we're going to talk a bit about uh, you bringing some of these businesses together at the uh, New England Cannabis Convention. But first, we have to take one more short break. Uh, this is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall.
2: At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to Gondrepreneur.com slash businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today.
0: Hey, welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Branfalt here with Mark Shepard, co-founder of the New England Cannabis Convention. So I want to talk to you a bit about the NECC. You guys were the first organization to hold these events in the Northeast. So why don't you tell me about it, and you know what? What's the purpose?
1: Well, we've actually been doing it um, for a little while. We did. We came up with the idea in, in 2014 to sort of create a networking and resource hub for the local cannabis industry. You know, we sort of said, look, medical's here, rec is going to come. Um, and and sort of our fear, myself and my co-founder, Jeff Lawrence, was that with all the successful existing business models in, in the other recreational states, you um, you know, growing and competing there. When when recreational use comes here, how easy is it going to be for them to take their you know proven models and just plop them down in New England um, and sort of take over the industry and and send all the money back out west? So we just our idea was how do we get all the people who are interested in this industry who are local in, in the same room to, you know, to sort of network and educate and learn from each other and, and build a framework for a New England-based cannabis economy. So we, we started with, with a series of small local shows in 2015. We did shows in Providence, Rhode Island, Portland, Maine, a couple in Boston, Mass., with the idea of sort of introducing ourselves and the idea and then circling back to one major show. We did the first one at the Heinz Convention Center in Boston this April, um, you know, and brought in people from all over New England. Obviously, we welcome companies from the outside. We're not trying to shut out other people, but we just want to give the people locally a chance to compete.
0: Did you have any issues with the Heinz Convention Center, uh, you know, specifically as, as hosts for a Cannabis Cup?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have to say, you know, we're very grateful to the to the Hines, and that the other convent, no other co- other convention center in Boston would even accept our show last year, and and they let us in. But you know, when we did sign, I mean. Recreational use wasn't legal in Massachusetts. It's still illegal federally. This is a state-owned facility, so you know we had to sign an agreement of of you know saying that there'd be no actual cannabis product on site. Um, and you know they they asked us to sign that again for our show next April, we, you know, we signed the contract before the, before the rec ballot passed. So we're sort of in negotiation now, um, about what we can do, you know, for people who have been to cannabis cups in, in legal States, you know, the vision of, you know, a gigantic sort of farmer's market with people sampling and, and, and partaking and all that stuff. I mean, that's not going to happen anywhere in Massachusetts. So, you know, we've got to build a model where maybe we host sort of an event off-site, and then for the, the convention itself, we'll really be just doing um, an award show um, to highlight and celebrate the winners of, of the cup.
0: What was the the turnout like? Was it more than you were expecting, a little less?
1: I mean, the one in April this year was more. You know, you, you never know when you haven't done it. I mean, we did the, We did smaller shows in 2015 with between 55 and 70 vendors and, you know, maybe a couple thousand attendees. And then we did the show in April. Um, you know, we sold out the floor of the Heinz. We had about 120 vendors. And we had over 4,000 people come in, um, which certainly... Beat our projections of what would happen. Uh,
0: I was I was going over the the website for the convention, and I saw a very interesting page about a can of pitch slam. Uh,
1: you want to elaborate as to what that is? Sure. It's, um, you know, it's a stolen idea of, you know, of anybody who's familiar with, with Shark Tank. Um, and it's something that I had seen at, at a couple other conventions where, you know, you sort of encourage either either young cannabis businesses or even not even born yet cannabis businesses to sort of submit their business proposal um, and their, their investor plan. And, and what we're going to do is collect three or four, for, um, you know, veterans of of the cannabis investment community to serve as judges. We're going to take all the entries, read through them, pick, you know, pick our finalists, and then they're going to do a live, you know, pitch to these people, Shark Tank style. I mean, it's it's not going to be the same in that there's not going to be a massive, you know, on-site investment by these people. But it's more just the idea of, you know, the entertainment of seeing the, of of the ideas come out and people competing, um, you know, and and getting hammered by questions and a very interactive type show at the convention.
0: How did you go about working around some of these issues, you know, with with? not being able to have cannabis on site, and, you know, did this impact kind of the the expectations, I guess, of the attendees?
1: Um, you certainly feel plenty of questions from people, you know, asking, you know, can I smoke inside, can I buy, you know, cannabis inside, and, you know, I, I understand those questions, I mean... I, I think it's a little silly when people's expectation is that they're going to be able to smoke inside a a state building. You can't smoke a cigarette in there. Um, so you know how how are you going to be able to to smoke cannabis? And you know, again, at the time it was illegal. So um, the people who, who come to our show, you know, we're really looking at two components. One, people who want to get in the business or are already in the business and want to network. They don't care if there's plants in the show or not. You know, maybe some people want to demo a product they have and it's easier to demo with actual cannabis. It's not very hard to substitute a, you know, a similar plant. And then the other half is people who are interested in the in the medical program, whether they want um, education for themselves or for a loved one or trying to understand how to navigate the system or get involved in that industry. And again, you know, the absence of having an abs- actual cannabis plant really doesn't impact that experience. You know, what we're missing, and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rec- recreational user myself, I'd love to go to what I would call like a pot festival where there's buying and selling and comparing. I mean, that would be great. Um, But I do understand that that's illegal and and isn't going to happen in Massachusetts or anywhere in New England for you know for a couple of years on. So I mean I'm eagerly awaiting when we can do that, but um, you know it's going to be a while.
0: So before we go, uh, we're getting short on time here. Could you you know kind of give me an idea of uh, what was most exciting, uh, what the most exciting kind of uh, event or product was at the last convention and you know give give our listeners an idea of how they can actually attend uh, the next event
1: you know the probably the the, the most well attended and, and best feedback we got was we had a, a programming stage of live demos and the the demos went everywhere from you know uh, cloning growing trimming creating tinctures um, making edibles you know every single aspect of you know home growing and, and using of cannabis both for medical and, and recreational um, I think there was a lot of great information there people got very excited they met instructors they were able to get directions on what to do um, we're obviously going to greatly expand that now um, for home, you know for legal home growing and processing so very exciting Excited to have um, a huge expansion of programming for that. Um, You know, the the convention is April 22nd and 23rd, uh, 2017. You know, all the information for for tickets are on our our site, which is NECAN.com, which is N E C A. N-n.com. You know, we have very inexpensive tickets for um, people looking for medical information. They can just go in, pay a small fee to get in and, and get access to all of the medical program. Um, programming, and then there's, you know, a more expensive ticket that gives you access to all of the, the demos and the, the business and career advice and the main keynote speakers and the full convention experience. But it's still, compared to the national shows that are charging $200, 300 $600 for admission, um, you know, our ticket prices range between 20 and $70, so it's very affordable for anybody who's looking, you know, to get into this industry.
0: Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's really refreshing to uh, get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from New York. I went to college in New York and, you know, I'm living in Michigan now, but to see, you know, the proliferation of the legal cannabis market in, in the Northeast, which I adore New England, um, you know, a, a it's, it's very refreshing and, and, and great that, you know, there's, there's somebody out there who's, you know, already, you know, st- Doing conventions and and bringing uh would be uh can of business owners together.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's a very exciting time um, in New England for this industry and, and everybody I meet. It's that enthusiasm. You get to be surrounded by smart, driven, motivated people who are excited, you know, to, to be part of a brand new successful industry um, that'll, that'll bring a great economic boon for this region. So it's fantastic um, to be involved in it.
0: All right. Well, that was Mark Shepard, the co-founder of NECAN. I'd like to thank you so much for coming on uh, the Gontrepreneur.com podcast and wish you the best of luck in uh, April.
1: Thank you so much, TJ. Real pleasure to be here and, and really appreciate the invite. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Mark. Uh, you can find more episodes of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gondrepreneur.com and the Apple iTunes Store. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and insights and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gondrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfalt.